Look at Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. What in the world is going on? Genesis chapter 11, look at verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us. Now, that's interesting. The us of the city is different than the us of the Godhead. I think that if we as a church and if we as a nation want to be blessed, maybe what we want ought to be what He wants. And obviously it was opposite here. Go to, let us go down there and there confound their language that they, might, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Lord, please help us this morning. This is a very important topic in your word. And so, Father, help us to have an understanding of what is going on in the world in the relation to the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. This morning, last week, we looked at the subject of a, a, a new world order the global government that Satan is trying to establish on the earth. And we understand from the Scriptures here that God does not want man to all be together. you all see that clearly? Because what happens when, when all of humanity comes together, where they're of one mind and where they're of one language, one world, what happens in verse 6? The Bible says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Let's get that imagination in its proper context. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Look at chapter 8. Look at what it says in verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. There was a sacrifice that had been made. And the Lord said in His heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of a man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and the day and night shall not cease. 
So God has said he has, that, that in Genesis 6, the imaginations of man's heart were only evil continually. So God destroys the world with a flood. And then as he establishes mankind again through the lineage of Noah and his sons, that what we end up with is people whose hearts are evil, whose imaginations are evil from their youth. And of course, we define that in modern language by you don't have to teach your children how to throw a fit at Walmart. Why? Because their imaginations are evil from their youth. Isn't that right? How many of you have children? How many of you have children? Those precious little deceivers. <laughs> right? You're, you just get to sleep. You're laying down and you're so tired. And you hear this horrible scream. The world is ending. You fall out of bed. You run into the room and the little one's like... <laughs> They lied to you because they know that you'll come when they behave that way. They're evil from their youth. That is the state of mankind. Isn't that true? And it's so interesting that as they get older, the deceit just gets a little more sophisticated. But what's so funny, again, you parents, how many of you are parents of teenagers? Would you raise your hand? What is so funny is when they think they're fooling you. Isn't that hilarious? You look at your kids and you say, do I have stupid written right here? That little thing that you just tried, I tried that 30 years ago. It didn't work then either. (laughs) Amen, parents. Isn't that exactly right? Why? Because all of us have evil in our hearts. We do that. The Bible says the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. So if someone starts, if their starting philosophy, if their, if their bedrock belief is the goodness of mankind, the whole building is going to be uh, in danger. Does that make sense? If you build something on a bad foundation, you're going to end up with a bad product. And if the foundation is the goodness of mankind, then that is a, it's built on a complete falsehood. And, of course, the building will inevitably, inevitably, Come down around your ears. Now go back to Genesis chapter 11. We see clearly from the Scriptures that the reason that God has divided the languages and divided the people into nations and people groups around the world is because when they are together, the imaginations of their heart are only evil continually. When they come together, nothing will be restrained from them. And the idea of nothing being restrained from them, that's not saying that they'll be able to cure disease. That's saying that what they will be able to accomplish for evil will be beyond anything that we could imagine as a separate people. And this is very interesting. This is very important. Remember that when the printing press was invented, Gutenberg in the 1400s, before that time information was not available to people except primarily through a church. Does that make sense? Most educated people in the world were in churches. Some of them were educated for evil. Some of them were educated for good. Once books were able to be printed and books became available to everyone, now good information was available. So the gospel spread around the world as the Bible was translated into the languages of the people. In 1516, Desiderius Erasmus compiled a Greek text, and that was the first printed Greek text in the history of the world. Within a 100 years, that text was translated into 1,600 different languages. That changed the world because now people had access to the Word of God. 
They no longer had to go to one person in a church who would tell them what the Bible said. Now they could read the Bible for themselves and know what God had said to them. So the availability for truth was huge and it was available for everyone. But not only was there great opportunity for truth, that means there was also great opportunity for what? For error. And so when people began writing things in books, there were things that people never should have known that were written in books. Does that make sense? The words of God came to the people. That's wonderful. They needed that. The Bible says man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so that word came to man, and that was a blessing, and it was wonderful. But other words also started coming to man. There was something that took place. It was called the Enlightenment. How many of you have heard of the Enlightenment? The Enlightenment. And so what you ended up having during the Enlightenment were a bunch of these secret societies. And I know somebody out there is thinking, okay, here we go. We're going to kookiness again. No, they really were secret societies because the governments and the Catholic Church would kill these people if they found out about them, so they had to remain in secret. How many of you have studied that in history and you know what I'm talking about? We're not going to take the time to go through that right now. But there were, there were these groups of people... And out of these secret groups came what was called the Enlightenment. The problem with the Enlightenment was it was not only opening people's minds to scientific discovery, it was also trying to open their minds to the rejection of God. That's what was going on in the Enlightenment. And that is the basis for this teaching. Science versus religion. Science versus religion. Now, if you are, if you work in, in the science field, either you teach science or you're an engineer, but you do something in science, would you stand up today? I suppose a doctor has something to do with science, yeah. All right, so you teach science, you work in a scientific field, engineering, drafting, anything like that, science. All right, how many of you that are here and you, you, you're standing up, you do something with science? You actually believe in God. Would you raise your hand? Okay, thank you. You can be seated. So apparently, it is not God versus science. It's false science and a false idea versus God. And that grew. And it grew through a subject or through uh, the medium of humanism. Humanism. Now, let me say this. When religion, in the name of God, does deplorable things, that does deplorable things to the name of God in the world. Is that right? So imagine Grace Baptist Church, and Aiden here decides that he's not going to believe in God anymore. And so we at Grace Baptist Church, we decide we're going to kill him. Wouldn't have to do that. His mom would care for that, but... But let's say that let's say that that we kill him. Does that help the name of Christ or does that hurt the name of Christ? It hurts the name of Christ. So everyone that knows him thinks that we are hateful people and we're murderers. Now you need to understand that is what has happened in the name of Christ in history. We're not going to take the time to go through all of it. We could, not all of it, but we could go through much of it. We're not going to take the time to do that. But we need to know that there have been religious institutions who in the name of Christ have killed people for believing, believing differently than they. And, and that, is, that is so unbiblical and it's so unscriptural that it has caused 
reproach. It has caused a bad name for Christians in the world. How many of you have heard someone say this? I I can't be a Christian because of what has been done in the name of Christ. How many of you have heard someone say that? That's why it's so important that we teach people that is not who we are. Things have been done in the name of Christ, but not because Christ told them to do that. And all through the history of Christianity, there has been a true group of believers who knew that God did not want them to do that. In the first century, it was everybody. All the true churches believed that way. In the second century, you get to the Montanists and the Novatians. In the third century, the Donatists. When you, when you head on through, you have the Albigenses and the Montanists, the Albigenses and the, the Paulicians and the, the, the Paterines and the Cathari and all these Christians, the Anabaptists, all through history that refused to persecute people in the name of Christ because they knew that God is the ultimate judge. We are not. And every man will stand before God and give an account of himself. But Satan was so ingenious as to get into Christian theology and teach people that it was their responsibility to kill people who didn't believe what the Bible said. When most of those people had never seen a Bible. And so what happened was these people who hated God in the Enlightenment period, they ended up teaching that God doesn't exist and we need to find truth apart from God. That grew into what was called the humanist movement, the secular humanist movement. In the United States, that was printed as the Humanist Manifesto. I have here a copy of it. It's Humanist Manifestos 1 and 2. And this is what it says. The Humanist Manifesto, it was originally printed in 1933. Listen to what it says. The time has come for widespread recognition of the radical changes in religious beliefs throughout the modern world. The time has passed for mere revision of traditional attitudes. Science and economic change have disrupted the old beliefs. So science, that's evolution. Economic change, that's Marxism. All right. Do we have any Marxists here today? Any Marxists? Religions the world over are under the... This is still... This is continuing in the Humanist Manifesto. Religions the world over are under the necessity of coming to terms with new conditions created by a vastly increased knowledge and experience. In every field of human activity, the vital movement is now in the direction of a candid and explicit humanism. In order that... Now, look at this. Do you see what it says? Religious humanism. Religious humanism. Humanism is a religion. How many of you have heard that we're not allowed to have religion in schools? Would you raise your hand? Do you know who the, the author of this was? John Dewey, the father of the modern public school system. Very interesting. We'll look at some of that here in a couple of weeks. In order that religious humanism may be better understood, we, the undersigned, desire to make certain affirmation, affirmations which we believe the facts of our contemporary life demonstrate. There's a great danger of a final and we believe fatal identification of the word religion with doctrines and methods which have lost their significance and which are powerless to solve the problem of human living in the 20th century. Let me ask you a question. Is the gospel powerless to affect human living in the 20th century? No. How about the 21st century? No. This is the position of the humanists. Today, man's larger understanding of the universe 
His scientific achievements and deeper appreciation of brotherhood have created... Now, this deeper appreciation of brotherhood, that new economic system of Marxism, how did that do in the 20th century? The bloodiest century in the history of of, of humankind. That humanistic Marxist idea, that was the idea of Hitler. That was the idea of Mao. That was the idea of Lenin. That was the idea of Stalin. And these people wanted to bring that idea to America. How many of you want that kind of brotherhood? It's very interesting, isn't it? The language that's used. All right. So uh, a new, a deeper appreciation of, appreciation of brotherhood have created a situation which requires a new statement of the means and purposes of religion. Such a vital, fearless, and frank religion capable of furnishing adequate social goals and personal satisfactions may appear to many people as a complete break with the past. While this age does owe a vast debt to traditional religions, it is nonetheless obvious that any religion that can hope to be a synthesizing and dynamic force for today, let us make us a tower and a name, must be shaped for the needs of this age. Jesus Christ said this, the Apostle Paul writing, he said this in Ephesians 3.21, that God would receive glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages. Amen. So the church, the true church, the true biblical understanding of what a church is, is effective for every age. It's not outmoded in spite of what the Humanist Manifesto says. All right? To establish such a religion is a major necessity of the present. It is a responsibility which which rests upon this generation. We therefore affirm the following. So we're going to look through the points of this Humanist Manifesto. First, religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Now we understand that science tells us that's impossible. How many of you know that science tells us that's impossible? Science tells us that's impossible. Again, science tells us that's impossible. It's like the whole transgender conversation, right? A a girl wants to identify as a boy, and so we establish new bathrooms at Troy High School, right? We make it, you can go whatever bathroom you want to. If, If I feel like I'm a girl today, I can go in the girl's shower. If I decide that I'm a boy, or if a girl decides she's a boy, she can go in the boy's shower. Now, I'm just a preacher, but doesn't science tell us that person is a boy? Doesn't science tell us that person is a girl? It's really important that we understand that when the world talks about science, it's not talking about science, it's talking about a religion. It's religious humanism. Every scientist in the world knows that it has not always existed. They all know it. Now, they're coming up with all kinds of reasons to explain it, but they know it has not always existed. And how do they know that it was not created? When most of science today says it was created, and that's where they're saying aliens did it. (laughs) Second, humanism believes that a man is a part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of a continuous process. The only problem is they can't find that process continuing today. Third, holding an organic view of life, humanists find that the traditional dualism of mind and body must be rejected. 
So your mind, and see, the reason they have to say this, if you ever want to confuse an evolutionist, an evolutionist, ask him, where does consciousness come from? Explain the natural process whereby consciousness exists. See, they can, they can invent or create all of the enzymes that they want to. But now have that enzyme think. When that enzyme builds a Lego Spider-Man house, a teenager can do that, right? What, or, or Denver. Where's Denver? Right, amen. He loves Den- he, you love Legos, right? Hallelujah. It's very important. You see, that idea of creating life where they, they took some amino acids and some enzymes and put electricity into it and somehow that came to life, that's what they're thinking. Well, that if it did come to life, and I, I don't believe that it did, but if it did, where is the consciousness in that life? And so what they have to do is they have to say there's no distinction between mind and body, let alone soul and spirit. Right? Okay. So now. Third. Fourth. Humanism recognizes that man's religious culture and civilization, as clearly depicted by anthropology, that's the study of man and history, are the product of a gradual development due to his interaction with his natural environment and with his social heritage. The individual born into a particular culture is largely molded by that culture. That's true. Did you all agree with that? We're Americans. We think differently. I was in uh, Italy, and uh, we were at the uh, Colosseum, and people kept coming up trying to sell us stuff. And my friend Steve Baker said, do we have American tattooed on our forehead? And the person said, yes. And we asked, how? What, how do you know? He said, it's the way you walk. You walk like you own everything. That's interesting. Over there, they walk like the government owns everything. <laughs> Our culture really does change the way that we behave. There's no doubt about that. But the culture did not make me a giraffe. <laughs> Is that right? It's very interesting. Uh, we know that when Jacob was about two or three, he's really staring at me and he said, Dad, where's your neck? <laughs> <laughs> So culture has not made me a giraffe. Fifth, humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human value. Can I ask you a question? How does the nature of the universe make unacceptable the concept of a supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human values. You understand how that's a non sequitur? That that one does not necessarily follow the other. It's violating the laws of logic. All right? Obviously, humanism does not deny the possibility of realities as yet undiscovered, but it does insist that the way to determine the existence and value of any and all realities is by means of intelligent inquiry, and by the assessment of their relations to human needs. That's called scientism. It's called scientism. There was a man named Henri Saint-Simon, and he came up with this idea that anything that cannot be proven by science does not exist. It doesn't matter. 
All right? I want all, I want all of you men scientifically to prove what your wife is thinking right now. It's much easier for you wives. You know what the husband's thinking? I'm hungry. That's about it. It's much easier. Now look. Religion must formulate its hopes and plans in the light of the scientific spirit and method. The only problem is the scientific spirit and method do not prove their premise. See? It's interesting. They're making a false dichotomy. It's the logical, remember we went through the logical fallacies, it's the logical fallacy of bifurcation. You either believe in God or science. You must either believe in God or science. The only problem is God is the one who created the laws of science. So I'll believe in both, thank you very much. Sixth, we are convinced that the time has passed for theism. Now that's the belief in God. Deism, that's the belief that God created the world and then stepped back from it, doesn't have any interaction. And modernism. Modernism is the idea that, yes, there is a God, but there's no such thing as the infallibility of Scripture, the virgin birth, the fact that Jesus is God. None of that is true. All right? So those are the things. So we are convinced that the time has passed for theism, deism, modernism, and the several varieties of new thought. All right? So religion is over is what he says. Just the religion of humanism would exist. Seventh, religion consists of those actions, purposes, and experiences which are humanly significant. Well, wait a minute. We were created for God's glory. So what dominates our life or should is, is this significant to God? Is what I am doing significant to God? Isn't that a good question? Important. Nothing human is alien to the religious. It includes labor, art, science, philosophy, love, friendship, recreation, all that is in its degree expressive of intelligently satisfying human living. And I want you to think about what Christianity has become. Labor, got to work for your faith. Art, let's have an interpretive dance instead of a sermon. Science, philosophy, love, friendship, and recreation. While we were in um, Slovenia, the, the, the Barlows took us to see this river. It's where Prince Caspian was filmed, that green river. Is it green, Jacob? Where's Jacob? What color is that river? The green river. It really is green. And there's a, there's a ministry there, and the ministry is rafting. They may or may not give the gospel, but the ministry is recreation. It's getting people back in touch with nature. It's very interesting. All right? The distinction between the sacred and the secular can no longer be maintained. Now, we would say that. We would agree with that statement. There's no difference. Everything I do is sacred. Everything I do is a part of my worship. That false distinction between, well, I'm this at church, but I'm this at work. I'm this at church, but I'm this at school. That's what has led people to this. Amen? Are you with me? So again, they, they mix things up. Eight, religious humanism considers the complete realization of human personality to be the end of man's life and seeks its development and fulfillment in the here and now. This is the explanation of the humanist social passion. So the complete realization of human personality. That's interesting, isn't it? I took a personality test. 
and failed. <laughs> um, it's, it's really interesting that people are trying so hard that, that the issue is we have to develop the whole person. We have to teach the whole student. And it's the idea of developing a personality. That's not, uh, that's not the job. Now, this is the explanation of the humanist social passion. Ninth, in the place of the old attitudes involved in worship and prayer, the humanist finds his religious emotions expressed in a heightened sense of personal life and in a cooperative effort to promote social well-being. So it's me and other people, that's our goal. It always starts with me. It follows that there will be no uniquely religious emotions and attitudes of the kind hitherto associated with the belief in the supernatural. So we're not looking for a transcendent idea anymore. Man will learn to face the crises of their life in terms of his knowledge or of their naturalness and probability. Reasonable and manly attitudes will be fostered by education and supported by custom. Do you see that? We assume that humanism will take the path of social and mental hygiene and discourage sentimental and unreal hopes and wishful thinking. Eugenics. Believing that religion must work increasingly for joy in living, religious humanists aim to foster the creative in man and to encourage achievements that add to the satisfactions of life. I'll tell you how this works out. Some of you know that, that I, I do work in church history and in Baptist history, and I'll, I'll find a historic church and I'll find a book that is the history of that church. And so in the first chapters, it's talking about how someone went to a city and started leading people to Christ and other people are led to Christ and they come together and they end up building a building and then that church establishes other churches and you get to the last chapter and it says, Mrs. So-and-so gave us the organ in the church. The tower was built by. The lady sewing group started in. It's amazing the difference. That's what this humanism coming into the churches did. It changed the whole mission of the church, and it was all about beauty. All of a sudden, all the churches have to have stained glass windows because it's all about art. It's all about beauty. The window in this building was built was, was done by Chagall, and so if you want to come and see our church, this great artist did our... Well, what about Jesus? You see? Thirteenth. Religious humanism maintains that all associations and institutions exist for the fulfillment of human life. The intelligent evaluation, transformation, control, and direction of such associations and institutions with a view to the enhancement of human life is the purpose and program of humanism. Certainly, religious institutions, their ritualistic forms, ecclesiastical, that means church, methods, and communal activities must be reconstituted as rapidly as experience allows in order to function effectively in the modern world. Fourteen. This is the last. The humanists are firmly convinced that existing, acquisitive, and profit-motivated society has shown itself to be inadequate. Okay? So, acquiring and profit. Now, I want you to understand, how many of you have jobs today? Would you raise your hand? That's because somebody wanted to acquire and make a profit. Let's get rid of that. Does that make any sense at all? Doesn't make any sense at all. Let's have a business that doesn't care about profit. Do you know what that's called? Government. A socialized and cooperative economic order must be established to the end 
that the equitable distribution of the means of life be possible. How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. From each according to his ability to each according to his need. That's our friend Karl Marx. Then, the goal of humanism is a free and universal society. Oh, look at that. Universal society, back to Babel. In which people voluntarily and intelligently cooperate for the common good. Humanists demand a shared life in a shared world. Look, they demand it. They demand it. Uh, we were pulling into the green the other day, and there was a, 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 an Acura, a brand-new Acura, with a Bernie Sanders bumper sticker. And I really wanted to follow the guy and ask him for 90% of his income. I want 90% of your car. You can use it 10% of the time. What are you talking about? No, I'm going to take it. That's stealing. Exactly. If you don't know Barry, uh, Barry, Bernie Sanders, Barry Sanders is different. <laughs> Bernie Sanders believes that government should tax people at 90% of their income. He's an avowed socialist, and 40% of the Democrats are voting for him. That's where our world is. Isn't that amazing? How many of you think that's amazing, that that's where we are? That, that I have the right to come and take what is yours and give it to someone else. Here, what about Christian charity? Okay, let's, let's apply that here. I'll go home and get my gun, and I'll come and take what's yours and give it to somebody else. Is that charity? No. That's government coercion. That's what they want. That's a humanist idea. That's not a biblical idea. That's not an American idea. This is the idea of the humanists that they have brought into the world. So now, this is their closing paragraph. Oh, there's 15th. I lied to you. All right? We assert that humanism will affirm life rather than deny it. I don't even know what that means. Seek to elicit the possibilities of life, not flee from them. Endeavor to establish the conditions of a satisfactory life for all, not merely for the few. Oh, we have all the one percenters. Oh, there's a big gap between the haves and the have-nots. Has anyone heard that recently? It's very interesting. It's very interesting. By this positive morale and intention, humanism will be guided, and from this perspective and alignment, the techniques and efforts of humanism will flow. Here's their closing statement. To stand on these on the theses of religion, or on the thesis of religious humanism. Though we consider the religious forms and ideas of our fathers no longer adequate, the quest for the good life is still the central task for mankind. The quest for the good life. Man is at last becoming aware that he alone is responsible for the realization of the world of his dreams. That he has within himself the power for its achievement. Sounds like Tony Robbins, doesn't it? You have within yourself the power to be whatever it is that you want to be. You have the power. He must set intelligence and will to the task. This is the Humanist Manifesto from 1 and 2, Prometheus Book, 7th printing, 1979, pages 7 through 10. Now, how has this impacted the world? Now, how many of you are glad that we at Grace Baptist Church do not buy into this? 
right? It's very important that we understand, though, that this has had an incredible impact. My message today is humanism and the gospel. Humanism and the gospel. How has this affected the world? Well, first of all, we need to understand that this thinking did not begin in 1933 where that was written. This thinking existed in the Garden of Eden, and we'll look at that in a minute, Genesis 3 and 4. This thinking was clearly the impetus behind the Tower of Babel. Let us build us a city and let us build us a tower that will go into heaven and let us make us a name. I'm glad I've got a new name written down in glory. I'm glad that my name is a son of God, that Jim Alter finds his significance in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I know that in me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Do you see how opposite this is from the Bible? Humanism is completely opposite from the Bible, but it didn't begin with the humanist manifesto. It began with Satan in the Garden of Eden and with one of the sons of God, one of these demons in Nimrod in the Tower of Babel. How has this, re- this affected religion? How has this concept of humanism that was established by Satan... Can we look at that real quick? Go to Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 1. And, of course, this is why, since the outline is given to us thousands of years ago, this is why the humanist has to, has to get us to stop trusting this because the Bible gives us their agenda, clearly. Amen? Look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So what did they do? She ate the fruit, and then Adam ate the fruit, and man fell. What is Satan's attack? You can be like a god. You can be that. You can be all that you can be. You have the power within you to change the world. Really? Really? How many of you ever heard somebody say that? You have the power within you to change the world. What does the Bible say about that? All that is in the world. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life is not of God, but is of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Isn't that interesting? Do you know we've not been called to change the world? And you see that in Christian circles all over the place. Change the world. Change the world. And what these ministries are doing is they're making the world a better place from which to go to hell. We don't change the world. We change people's hearts through the preaching of the gospel. And when we change people's hearts, then we can change a community. Then we can change a society. But if we begin by trying to change the society, you cannot change the society without changing the person's heart. You can take an axe murderer and put a nice suit on them. They're still an axe murderer. Amen? You've got to change that person's heart. Now, how has this affected religion? First, let's understand what has happened in religion in the world. I'm sorry that's a little small. First, we must find truth 
in non-Christian... First, where we find truth in non-Christian religion, we must attribute this to God. He's the source of all truth. We know that in the beginning, the truth about God was universally known. We know that. And we'll look at that with Cain in just a minute. But it's really important that we get this. There's, how many of you recognize there's lots of religions in the world? And not everything they do in those religions is error. But whatever truth they have, that truth they stole from the truth. Okay? It's real important that we get that. Second, we must recognize that where there is falsehood or, or even a twisted perspective on the truth, this is the result of man's sin nature in holding the truth of God in unrighteousness. Romans 1 talks about that. It states that man's nature is to suppress the truth, to hold the truth in unrighteousness about God that is evident to him and to substitute for it what Paul calls vain imaginations in Romans 1.21. It's very clear that what we have in the world are vain imaginations. You have your religion, I have my religion. People say that. That's vain imaginations. There's only God's religion. We need to get in line with God's religion, not make up our own. Is that right? That's the opposite of humanism. That is theism and Christianity. Third, we cannot deny the influence of Satan in inspiring false religious expressions and experiences. And this is a really interesting thing. I think most of you will find this interesting. There has never been a society in the world discovered where there was not some kind of sacrificial system. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because man, according to Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, man in his very conscience knows that he has violated the law of a holy and righteous God because God wrote the law in their hearts. They know it. Every nation knows it. And so in every society, there is a false religion that Satan has established. You say, how do you know that it's Satan? Look at what the Bible says. This is Psalm 106, 36 and 37. And they serve their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. 1 Corinthians 10, 20. And this is talking about meat offered to idols in, in Corinth. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to who? To devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Isn't that a good advice for a pastor? And Nick and Yvonne, don't have fellowship with devils. How many of you are thinking, mother-in-law? <laughs> but That was rude, wasn't it? Now, it's really important that we get this. In our culture, when we talk about demons and devils, the world thinks that's silly. Y'all recognize that? The world thinks that's silly. God doesn't think it's silly. So in all of these nations where they're having some kind of sacrificial system, where they're making sacrifices, they're making those sacrifices to devils. That is the clear teaching of Scripture. So yes, there is a world's religion, and it's a man-made religion where they're bringing what they want to to God in hopes of finding acceptance, but they are not accepted because it's sacrificed to devils. How has this affected Christianity? How would you explain God to a non-believer? I would explain God as the creator a heavenly father of someone that wants to be in relationship with you, just um, as somebody that's for you, as a friend. Okay, so here's the big question. Are there many paths to get to the one God? 
Well, I believe, Oprah, that there, I believe that Jesus is the way to the one God. But I believe there are many paths to Jesus. You know, you don't know how Jesus would reveal himself to somebody. So I'm not into excluding people. Jesus can reveal himself to anybody. Really? Really? Do you see how humanism has affected Christianity? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into excluding anybody. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. L open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Now, if you're a guest here today, let me be very clear on something. Our authority is the Word of God. And we're about to go through the Bible and find the answer to this question of humanism and the gospel. But our authority is the Word of God. Um, there is a false teaching in Christianity that you are never supposed to mention another Christian and identify their false teaching that somehow we're supposed to be one, and it's not loving to do that. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, I withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. And then he wrote it down, and it's been in the Bible for 2,000 years. When you look at the writings of the Apostle Paul, he identified false teachers. He said, mark them and avoid them. So what I've done is I've just marked Joel Osteen as a false teacher, and I want you to avoid him. All right? It's very important that you get this. We're not hateful. I don't hate Joel Osteen. I hope he gets right with God. He's influencing a lot of people. Amen? Let's see if the Bible is true or if Joel Osteen is true. Many different ways to Jesus. Verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. There's only one way to Jesus, and that's through the Word of God. It's not through experience. It's not through anything but the Word of God. The only way to come to the one true God is through the Word of God, Jesus, through the written Word of God, the Bible. That, that, there's no denying that, and we could find that all the way through the Scriptures. The Bible says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Our authority is the Word of God. So if I were sitting there with Oprah Winfrey, which imagine that, if I was sitting there with Oprah Winfrey and she asked me that question, I would say, Oprah, there's only one way to God. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in His Word. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners and that we are all deserving of hell and a Christless eternity. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is in Himself God, came, was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life on this earth. He died on the cross in my place. He was buried. And then three days later, He rose from the dead, proving that He was, is, and always will be God. And if a person will repent of their sin, repent of what they're thinking about God, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they can be saved and go to heaven. Is that a little different than what Joel Osteen just said? What's the difference? One is a non-offensive faith. It's a non-offensive faith. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 21, 1 Corinthians 1, 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, 
It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we, we're not going to give them what they want. Do you see that? Do you see the but there, the, the contrasting conjunction? We are not going... They, one wants a sign, one wants wisdom. We're not going to give them that. What are we going to give them? The preaching of the cross. Look at what it says. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the problem is Christianity has been affected by this humanistic idea of making you the best person you can be or giving you your best life now. If you're not familiar, that's Joel Osteen's book. Now, We don't have to worry about that kind of teaching at Grace Baptist Church. But how has this humanistic understanding affected our presentation of the gospel? Look at this. Have you ever heard this, let Christ come into your life? How many of you have heard someone say that, let Christ come into your life? The only problem is, this is the thinking, you have a great life. You're a great person. Jesus wants nothing but to join you in your life. He's not mad at you. He wants a relationship with you. That is the way the gospel is presented in many places. Look at the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 18. Speaking of Jesus, and He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So he rose from the dead first, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So who's supposed to have preeminence in the church, you and me or Jesus? So everybody say this out loud with me. You ready? It's not about me. You ready? It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Now look at what it says in verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated, and friends in your mind and wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. What's it say? Enemies. Can I tell you something? If you're not saved, God is not your friend. It's very clear. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone right now, God is not your friend. You are right now under the wrath of God. And He wants to save you. He wants to save you. Amen? It's very important. Let let Christ come into your life. Ephesians 2.1. Here's the problem with let Christ come into your life. You don't have one. You ever heard somebody say, get a life? That's the gospel. Is that awesome? You don't have a life. Look what the Bible says. And you hath he quickened that's made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. John 10, 10. The thief, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Let Jesus come into your life. That's letting Jesus come into something you don't have. Get a life. 
How about this? Will you accept Jesus Christ? How many of you ever heard that? Will you accept Jesus Christ? It's very interesting. This implies that Jesus is waiting to enter your life. That Jesus wants to go to the bar with you. That Jesus wants to, you know, surf the internet with you. That Jesus is just waiting to be included in your life. His great, the reason He came, this is the thinking, is to be included in your life. Very interesting. We, th- we have man on the throne... And God asking if He can come up and sit with us. Man ruling the universe. And God asking if He can get in on it. How many of you think that's biblical Christianity? Do you see how humanism making man the center of the gospel has turned upside down our gospel presentation? In the Bible, and this is my message today, in the Bible, the issue is not you accepting God, but God accepting you. Go with me to, let's trace this down through the Scriptures. Go with me to Genesis chapter 4. Remember what has happened. Man has fallen, chapter 3. In chapter 4, look at verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel... He also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now, I want you to see something. This is very important. One sacrifice is not as good as another. One religion is not as good as another. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. Right? Have you ever seen on the back of a semi, attend the church of your choice? How many of you ever seen that? I'd like to change that. Attend the church of God's choice. You see, one religion is not as good as another. One sacrifice is not as good as another. We don't have time to get into it, but they obviously knew that God required a sacrifice that went all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and, and thereafter, where God required a sacrifice for sin. And here they're making a sacrifice, and Cain brought a sacrifice. Abel brought an acceptable sacrifice. Cain did not. Now, here's the thing about Cain. Look at what it says. This is very interesting. Cain believed in God. Cain worshipped God. Cain gave gifts to God. But they were not good. They were not acceptable. It does matter how you worship God. How many of you can see that from this text? One way was acceptable, one way was not. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Look at verse 5. And unto Cain and to his offering... He had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. His countenance fell. He was pouting. He was sad. This is what happens when man is confronted by a holy God, and the holy God says, you are not good enough, you must do it my way. Man pouts. 
gets his feeling hurt, feelings hurt, and wants to create his own religion. How many of you recognize that's what's going on in the world? Right? And look at what God says, verse 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Mad, why are you angry? Why is thy countenance fallen? Why do you have that look on your face? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, now look at what this says. Verse 7, very important. If thou doest well, shalt not thou be accepted? Notice he's not talking about the sacrifice. He's talking about him. Look, Cain believed in God. He worshipped God. He brought an offering to God, but he was not accepted. There are a lot of religions in the world that are receiving Christ. That's not the question. It's not the question of whether or not you are accepting Christ. The question is, has God accepted you? It's very important. It's very important that we see that. If thou doest well, it's not about how we want to worship. It's not about whether or not God is good enough. God told Cain, I don't accept you. And you know that Cain is in hell today? He was not accepted of God. Why? Because he did not come to God in the right way. Look at Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 24. Lots of people are worshiping God in their own way. They brought humanism. They made man the center of the world. You know, there are a lot of people in our world who have accepted Christ, right? They love their wife. They love Budweiser. They love Jesus. And they love Dale Earnhardt. You understand that that's the Christianity that we have, right? It's very interesting. 2 Samuel, what has happened here is David has sinned against God. He's numbered the people. So many issues, and God is going to judge the people. And God gives David a way out. Go and buy a threshing floor and make these sacrifices in a very specific way. And he has to go and buy the threshing floor from Aruna. Now look at verse 22. And Aruna said unto David, Let my lord the king take, up, take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold... Here be oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments, and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Aruna, as a king, did Aruna, as a king, give unto the king. And Aruna said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. You see, God had told David how to make the sacrifices, but the sacrifices were not the issue. The sacrifice, the, the, the issue is, was God going to accept David? Do you see that? He needed to be accepted of God. Go to Job chapter 42. The point that I want to make very clearly is believing in Jesus is not enough. Believing in God is not enough. It's very quiet in here. Look at Job chapter 42. Look at verse 9. Now, Job had been through some stuff, hadn't he? Right? Verse 9. 
And Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite. That's the shortest guy in the Bible, right? And Zophar, the Namathite, went and did according as the Lord commanded them. And the Lord also accepted Job. The Lord accepted him. Do you know your only way to have eternal life is to be accepted of God? The only way that you can go to heaven is to be accepted of God. The only way that you can be saved is to be accepted of God. You know, there are a lot of people who in their religion, in doing what they think is right, are coming and bringing worship to a God of their own making through means of their own making, and they want to be accepted of God through means other than the means that God has provided. Humanism and the gospel. Humanism and the gospel. Go to Acts 10. Remember the Apostle Peter? God has arranged a meeting for Peter and a man named Cornelius. Look what the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. They had accordions and oompas and A devout... Now look at what it says about him. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Isn't that interesting? So look at what the Bible says about him. He was a devout man, he feared God, and he prayed, and he led his family to pray. How many of you think that's a good man? Would you raise your hand, you think that's a good man. But he was lost. If he had died in that condition, he'd go to hell. Is that interesting? How many of you think that's very interesting? A devout man, feared God, prayed, led his house to pray, and he was going to go to hell. Go to chapter 10 and look at verse 34. James Knox said, this is what was on Peter's tombstone. Then Peter opened his mouth. (laughs) Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. You see, what we need to understand is that if we'll fear God, we'll understand that he is a righteous and holy God who ought to condemn us to hell because we are all sinners. God's no respecter of persons. There's a teaching called Calvinism that God created some people for heaven and some people for hell. Some people are the elect and some people are not the elect. This this one verse defeats that. God's no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. And then it says, doeth righteousness. But the problem is, we don't have any righteousness. The Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So now here's the, here's the, the qualification. Fear God. And do righteousness. Well, I can fear God, but I can't do righteousness. There's none that doeth good. No, not one, the Bible says. There's none that seeketh after Him. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I can't do good. I can't do righteousness. What am I going to do? If that's the only way that I can be accepted is to fear Him and do righteousness, well, I can fear Him, and we had all better fear Him but we can't do righteousness. So what's the answer? 
What are we going to do? Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 6. Ephesians 1, verse 6, "...to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us..." What's that say? "...accepted in the Beloved." Now, who's the Beloved? In whom? The Beloved. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace." How are we accepted in Him? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. When I come through the blood of Jesus Christ, now I have the righteousness of Jesus. I don't have my own righteousness. Jesus clothes me in His. And so now I can be accepted by God. This is so important. This is so vital that we get this. How did Cain... What was Cain's problem? He was supposed to come through the blood of a lamb, and he didn't. What about David? God said he had to come through the blood of a sacrifice. Job, that whole chapter is about the sacrifices being made to God, and God accepted him through the blood. Cornelius, the message that Peter preaches to him in Acts chapter 10, is the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. Paul at Corinth preached the blood of the lamb, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man has made all kinds of religions, all kinds of ways to come to the Father. They say that they fear God. They say that they worship Him. They say that they're bringing Him gifts. They say that they're praying to Him. But if someone is trying to come to the Father other than by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, they are not accepted of God. God is not dying to have a relationship with you. God is complete in and of Himself. He needs nothing. He is self-existing. He is self-sustaining. He is self-satisfying. He does not need man. God does not need a relationship with you. You need to be accepted of Him. And do you know what happens when you're accepted of Him? You become a son of God, an heir and a joint heir with Christ. He gives you life and He gives it more abundantly. You see, God... It's very important that we get this. God is not interested in man-made worship. God is interested in His Son and His glory. And we must align with Him. See, here's the deal. God is not coming into the world asking for permission to climb up onto my throne. He's offering me the opportunity to climb up onto His You know what the Bible says about a Christian? We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen? Romans says it this way. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know that the Lord is not His nickname? It's identifying Him as your King, as your God, as the only one that can forgive sin. And it's acknowledging the God of the universe, the creator of all mankind, 
the one that created me and placed me in the United States of America at this moment so that I can come to him. The, the God that created the person and put them into New Guinea today so that they can find him according to Acts chapter 17. The one that had, that created the individual and had them born in the nation of China because that's the best place for them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That God, the God that created you, has revealed Himself to you through the Word of God and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Holy Spirit is today, right now, asking you to receive Jesus and the washing of His blood so that He can accept you. Has God accepted you? If you died today, if you had to stand before God, would you say, oh, you're my friend? No, 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 no. It's got to be. You're my God. You're my Savior. You're my King. You washed my sin in your blood. I can't participate. You did it. And I receive the gift of eternal life. Then I'm accepted in the beloved. Are you accepted in the beloved today? It's not have you accepted him. It's has he accepted you. It's only one way to him. It's by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. It doesn't matter what church you come from. It doesn't matter what family you come from. It doesn't matter what nation you come from. It doesn't matter what religious background you come from. None of that matters. There's only one way to heaven. That's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Look at that Ephesians passage one more time. Verse 6, Ephesians 1, 6, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption. That's He's, he's purchased us. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. That's it. You have to believe that and you have to receive it. Look at verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom, so this is those who have already done it, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard. What is that? Many ways to Jesus. No, no. Ye heard. The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. You know, I said it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus. Man, the Bible says Satan believes in Jesus and trembles. You know, there are a lot of people that believe in Jesus and they do worship for Him, but they don't place their faith and trust in Him alone for their eternal life. They don't come to the Father through the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone. If you think Jesus needs your help, listen, if you think Jesus needs your help, then you are not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. You are worshiping a Jesus that you have created. Amen? Jesus Christ loves you so much. He died on the cross and shed His blood to wash away your sin so that you could be accepted in the Beloved. He's not going to climb up on your throne, but He'll lift you up to His. Lord, please help us. 
Help us to see what humanism has done to the gospel.